You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at knobcastpod.com. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. So sorry that we had no episode last week, but I had to tangle with that disease-ridden Transformer Omicron that seems to be rampaging across the countryside at the moment. I seem to have come out fine on the other side, I guess. So I'm glad to be back in the saddle once again. I've watched so many movies during quarantine. I feel like I finally have a good shake on the film year of 2021. So next week, we will do our top five Netflix original movies of the year. But this week, we're going to wrap up our reviews for 2021 with the final Netflix release that came out this past Friday, The Lost Daughter, uh, starring Oscar winner Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, Dakota Johnson, and many others in an incredibly deep ensemble. And to help me break this one down, I brought someone who would definitely stab someone with a hairpin. Thank goodness this recording is over Zoom from the Untitled Cinema Gals podcast. Morgan Roberts is here. Happy New Year to you, Morgan. Thanks for coming on. Happy New Year. Why are you giving away my secrets? uh... (laughs) (laughs) It's a lovely hat you're wearing. I I definitely, it's a good look on you. I wouldn't say otherwise. (laughs) But thank you for coming on. Like, so this movie, I'm very anxious to talk about because my God, not only have I felt like I've been talking about this for easily six months since it started, you know, uh, drumming up noise at Venice and and winning awards and kind of, you know, making some noise in the festival circuit. But now that it's out, have you noticed how incredibly poor these, uh, you know, uh, reviews have been all over the place? I, I haven't. Which is funny because we just got off of Don't Look Up, where you can yes. say like, wow, the polarized view on that one. But at least that is like political. This one, I don't fully get some of the, the takes that I'm seeing. And man, I, I know that you just came out with uh, your top 30 films of the year that I saw on Twitter. So I know whether this film made the cut or not, but I kind of want to start with kind of the expectations here for yourself with this film when did you first have it come on your radar and did you see like during the festival run or did you have to wait for netflix how did that go about for you well so i knew about it when it was in production because big maggie gyllenhaal fan uh justice for stranger than fiction great film oh i love Um, that movie so much you're on the right you're on the right podcast for that one so you know i've been lightly paying attention to it and Mm -hmm. it was correct me if i'm wrong acquired by netflix before it actually went to yes barely but yes it was like the month or two before because they already had sold some of the rights and netflix doesn't have all of the rights but in the u.s here it is a netflix film yeah and so like that part was also interesting because i had the opportunity to go to sundance last year And obviously Sundance is a ragtag group of individuals saying, please let people see my movie where I feel like Venice has a little bit more of, I mean, it's European, 
they're Italian. They're like fancier than the rest of us. Yeah. So um, there was just a little bit more air of prestige for it. So that when Netflix acquired it and it was going to Venice, it was like, okay, like I'm, yeah. I'm paying attention. Um, and then did not watch it until New Year's Eve, but I act, I woke up early on my day off so I could make sure that I fit that film in before the end of the year. Yeah, now that we're letterbox friends, I did happen to notice that early entry, and I was like, "Woo, up and at him, Morgan! My goodness, getting right to it." Don't set that alarm, time. set that <laughs> alarm, and we were good to go. Maggie Joan Hall sent you a personal message to to wake <laughs> up early in the morning. I could buy that. Yeah. The the thing about Maggie Joan Hall for me though, I don't know if you watched uh, the Netflix Homemade series that was during the pandemic. Did you happen to catch these? I it was didn't. like a series of shorts. That was done by a bunch of different uh, directors and actresses and actors. And Maggie Gyllenhaal shot a short that she directed uh, with her husband, Peter Sarsgaard, who is in this film as well. And it wasn't very good, uh, at least to me. Now, again, shorts is always hard and you're making it during the pandemic or whatever. So when they said that she was directing this uh, and writing and directing this, I was like, okay. Uh, it kind of took me back to like that feeling that I had when I watched her short. But at the same time, I know that she comes from quite the lineage. Uh, her father's a director, obviously, you know, a family of stars, you know, with her and Jake and, and everything else going on. So you got to have at least some encouragement when it comes to an announcement like that. And the more I find out about how this actually came about, so I know that Alana Ferrante, uh, which is just her pen name, only I found out only like two people in in her life actually know who she really is. Like her publishers are like these gatekeepers that you know don't allow people to meet her or see her or do anything like that. From from what I understand, it's this very cloak and dagger thing, which makes me even more intrigued about it. But I guess um, she only would let uh, a female director adapt this and i know that you know maggie gyllenhaal gave her the pitch and even though she only had really that short under her belt as far as the director um she was given the rights to this and was able to adapt it with her writing and directing so that's already an incredible enough start and then the cast that she slowly but surely cobbled together and then it's pretty impressive um from what i i read about it and then for it to actually succeed and, and get uh, uh, an award for its screenplay at Venice, get a lot of good buzz, continue to go through all of the fall festival circuit uh, with high marks. And now that we're into award season, we've already seen uh, the fruits of all that labor with four Gotham awards uh, out of the five nominations that they have. Two Golden Globe nominations, which are coming up soon. Four Indie Spirits, a couple of Critics' Choice it's off to a great start. However, <laughs> like I mentioned to you before, my goodness, if you go by the tomato meter, I don't know what this movie is before I saw it because it's 96%. It's already certified fresh. The critics love it. 45% audience score. I've never seen anything this low. And I'm in a few Netflix groups and a lot of people are just like, I had to turn this off. They didn't. They hated it. Um, I know, you know, people who watch it and just, you know, considering what Olivia Coleman's character 
is or kind of how she acts. I guess people just can't handle a complicated woman. Have you ever heard of that before, Morgan? Oh, people not being <laughs> able to handle just literally women existing complicated or not. Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm somewhat familiar with that. Yeah. So when you did finally watch this movie, um, after all the, the hype and the award stuff coming out and all these kind of different reviews, um, how do you now sit with this movie after, you know, a first watch kind of, you know, how did it translate to you in terms of this novel? Uh, I historically am really bad at reading books before they're adapted. So I didn't even have the book to go off of to be like, what is this story about? Sure. Um, but what I found is that it's an incredibly middle of the ground. It's very fine. But what elevates it and I find is typically elevated when you have an actor or an actress go behind the camera is that they really elicit some pretty powerful performances. Yeah, for sure. And if we didn't have those powerful performances by those extremely talented cast members, I don't think that the critic score would be as high as it is because it's Mm. very average to me. Like there was nothing extremely nuanced to it. There was nothing that made me, and maybe part of that too was I have been sitting here for God knows how long because I've had that on my watch list (laughs) for forever that when it finally hit, I was like, okay, like it was good. I, the performances really blew me away. And I think that that's why I have kind of held it to a higher esteem, but on a first watch, it's simply fine. Um, I did rewatch it today and yeah. hold a little bit of a higher esteem than just my initial, but you know, you had me on for passing and I gave a really hard sell about, right. you know, passing should be getting some awards recognition. Right. And part of me wonders if the push from Netflix for lost daughter is because it premiered at Venice where right. passing premiered at Sundance and just that different level of prestige. Mm. Because I think when it comes to directing in a sophisticated manner, Rebecca Hall takes that. When it comes to the screenplay, Rebecca Hall certainly takes that because she was turning a novella into an intriguing story, making people feel well lived in without going off the rails where there were some moments even in my second re you know, my rewatch that I felt like, you know, I already know that this character is someone who struggles to interact with people. Mm. I don't know if I needed another scene seeing her once again, struggle to interact with youths. I get it. Right. now. Yeah. I guess, although, well, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, kind of pull the veil a little bit on mine. Uh, typically, I am not a big fan of like films that are kind of more based on mood or these kind of free flowing character studies as they usually leave me wanting more in terms of plot or entertainment value. Um, but I don't know what it is about this movie. Oh, actually, I could probably describe it. But like this one in particular, it gripped me. I don't <laughs> like this movie. I've seen over 130 movies this year. This is in my top 10. Like, this 
I was very impressed by this movie, and I'm interested in the various reactions of it because, you know, to me, if if you're a parent, and especially a mother, and you watch this movie and you don't go, God, yes. Like, I'm interested in that conversation because to me, there's a bunch of stuff here where I was intrigued about, like, having a complex character who's not entirely likable or understandable. I mean, she has a lot of moments where you go, what the hell are you doing, lady? But it it confronts you with a double standard of parenting and, like, these crushing expectations and responsibilities of motherhood that I live with constantly. And especially as a person who tries to be more than a parent but understand that you have to be a parent first is a is a horrible burden and not everyone's prepared for that and I thought this was very grounded in that feeling that if you can understand a lot of that I thought it was just a great examination of what that is like and the double standard of those responsibilities within uh, the parental structure um, because there's so many scenes in this movie where it's like She'll, you think she's not a very good person, maybe, or not a very good mother, but then she'll talk to a, a father or talk to a fellow mother about the husband, and it's just like they're aloof. They don't care. They mm-hmm. like they or they think they did so much by doing these tiny little things for their children before they abandon them for long stretches of their life and don't feel any worse for wear. And then, but you see a woman who, you know, uh, announced, you know, in several conversations over time in this film, it kind of uncovers what she did uh, to kind of escape her situation and, and how she deals with that. And, you know, people will judge her way more harshly than, say, someone like the Ed Harris character in here or was it Nina's husband, uh, who is a very kind of more intimidating character in here. Yeah. And it just, it just, I enjoyed that conversation. It was one of those movies that after I was done, I enjoyed having kind of the conversation in my head of why this Mm -hmm. kind of hit me and why these characters, even for being incredibly unlikable, can have still something to say when right now for characters that aren't like these, you know, these protagonists that are like the ones you want to root for from, you know, frame one, like, there usually have to be like anti-heroes or like some kind of like, or that they're flawed, but they eventually get their shit together. I like that this is kind of just like, no, 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 damage done, person complete, however, still vastly flawed, and but still someone who, you know, in their flaws can still be around other people and be like, no, 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 that's the real trash, but at the same time, you know, can can still have something to say and something that will really penetrate uh, me as a person and as a parent. Yeah. And I feel like mm, for the most part, this seems to be like the first time that that conversation is more accessible for people Mm. because it's on Netflix. It is readily available. But like, I remember having this conversation in 2018 when wildlife came out and here you have Carrie Mulligan, who is, uh, you know, delightful presence on screen being a young mother cheating on her husband with the oldest man possible uh (laughs) do love bill camp though um you know she is 
doing so much projecting onto her child. And, you know, that was just, and she wasn't likable. And I mean, this at least kind of provides you with, you know, we get this character in two different times of her life where she is the young mother ready to be like, no, my studies and my pleasures and my, the things that I want are more important. And then we see the woman with now grown children having to be like, do I still want a relationship with them? Cause that relationship obviously changes as right. you get older, your children get older. And then she sees herself yet again, reflected in Dakota Johnson's character. And so I think the thing that it is doing is it's showing where wildlife was very singular because it is just her and her family. All of a sudden we're starting to see that it can be much more of a universal thing. Cause I right. even remember yeah, it must've been in high school where a study came out that said that most marriages that were ending because of infidelity were on the woman's part of leaving mm. her spouse. And those statistics may have changed, but I just remember that being like, Oh, women can cheat on their spouses too. Cause normally <laughs> it's like, you know, she's a damsel in distress in a sweater at home crying about sure how she failed her marriage by not looking pretty enough um, right, yeah. versus now where it's like, you know, we have the expectation for women to become mothers and then also do nothing to support them to continue to be people themselves. Right. Um, yeah. There is also a conversation that can be had or at least be gleaned by her situation in particular, where it's like, Maybe she could have survived it if it was a more equal partnership. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could have survived it if they only had one kid because you really kind of see where one really needs a whole lot of attention. And then once the second one comes along, it's like she's overwhelmed. What? Cause mm-hmm. I, and I know that feeling as a, as a parent of two where like if my wife is not around and it's, or, if I'm not around and my wife has to take it, once you're outnumbered, you're screwed mm-hmm. as a parent. Like, cause you really want to be there for every thing that they need. And if you can't and you have to split your time, you feel like it's never enough. And I can imagine the way they portrayed in this movie, it feels like a gun to your head all the time and you're only making wrong choices. And so, and on top of it, She's trying to also be a person like, Mm -hmm. you know, and it seems like a very small apartment or a small house, like where you're kind of feeling suffocated. Um, You know, it, it definitely rings true. And I know I waited to have kids until my thirties for a reason. And a lot of people these days do as well because they want to try to see where their career goes before they have to maybe make some adjustments. Mm -hmm. And, Obviously, she didn't get to really kind of see these things through or she had a much tougher time until she finally had enough. And like, I'm not saying what she did was right or wrong. I'm just saying that she made a decision for herself that I know, I know 100% because I've seen many movies, I've read many books where like if the guy goes, I got to go chase a dream, nobody bats an eye if they leave a family. But if a woman leaves a family, they're jerks. They're the worst. They're and they feel it. And women feel like that all the time. And and that's what obviously held back 
women for a very long time before like you know daycares got better or or just the life balance of things or or more gender equality amongst parental uh constructs uh got better it it's it's a lot it's a lot to take in but like this is a movie that i think examines a lot of that and i thought very delicately and subtly but also just the fact that i don't think i've seen a movie that really does this that well that i just i just was uh i was awed by it to be honest yeah i mean again i understand people really being in in love with the film i mean it just i always have a problem if a movie's going to run at or over 2 hours mm. everything should feel very purposeful and i didn't feel that with the film okay. which is kind of where my hang up is of if you're going to fill this space for this long, I, I'm okay with a lingering film. I mean, right. I'll watch a Terrence Malick film. That's fine. But, you know, if we are having a film that does have really great conversations, mm-hmm. either give me the proper space to sit with those conversations afterwards, which they didn't always do, right. or let's keep moving the conversation further and further and have that conversation build. I just felt that the pacing was a little bit off too with some of the length in it. But I mean, the subject matter I think is so important because uh, I mean, it's was there's that scene between Olivia Coleman and Dakota Johnson, where Dakota Johnson, who is this parent who is pretending that she's got it all together, even though she straight up lost her kid at the beach um yeah. yeah who is you know has extracurricular activities while on vacation all uh, of these other things and she finally sits there and she's just like i think i might be depressed like i don't think i'm supposed to feel this way as a parent and it's like right. oh it's kind of like all of women's experiences where we sit there and we're like oh, I don't know why I feel this way because X, Y, and Z happened. And then every other woman in that room is telling you, oh, I had that exact same experience. It is, you know, um, Netflix does do a good job about acquiring films that have a powerful message, you know, like last year's Venice pick for them was Pieces of a Woman where, you know, it talks about pregnancy and infancy loss. That happens so frequently, but it's never shown in film. Correct. And so the lost daughter gets to talk about truly the burden of motherhood. It's not, you know, you don't bear a child and you're just like, okay, great. I got this. Like that's literally the rest of your existence is bearing other people into childhood, into adolescence, into adulthood, because as a, in a heteronormative way, in a cisgender way as a mother right you are expected to be this maternal all being force at all times and if right that's if you have to sacrifice yourself for that then so be it where you know we now see very frequently that it's actually okay and normal to be a person outside of your household because men have been able to do that for forever yeah the interesting thing is I find women hate this movie more than men. Like men wouldn't even probably turn this on. I think a lot of uh, the things that are here between Maggie Gyllenhaal and Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley and Dakota Johnson, all these prominent 
women uh, of of our time, and a lot of the reaction I see uh, are basically like either they hate the pacing, like that they hate the slow burn uh, of the, of the movie, or they hate her so much because either a they're like, well, I wouldn't do that. So they kind of if if you're gonna watch a movie where you're kind of putting yourself in their shoes. You're either like kind of pushing her away because you never want that kind of thing to exist or you love this movie because you are identifying with that person on every level and there's no in between. So the fact that I'm seeing, you know, kind of this this uh, audience score where it's just getting beaten to hell where people aren't being nuanced about it, where it's like they're kind of taking it personally. Yeah. And I, I can see that be a thing. And listen, if this woman was my mother, I'd fucking hate her guts. Like I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, 100%. I, you know, and, and to be honest, probably uh, Dakota Johnson too. Like there's not really a whole healthy, there's no like optimistic view version here. You know, it's kind of like a, a collective of various degrees on the same theme. Um, you know, even, uh, the one woman who, um, I hadn't seen this actress since the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Dagmara Demanzik. Demanzik. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct, but like basically the pregnant woman in the yeah. film that's the sister uh, of Nina, in it, and she has an answer for everything because she hasn't gone through anything. Yeah. So it's kind of also interesting to see what. Uh, Lita's reaction is to her versus say Nina where you know something she can identify with versus just like you don't know anything get out of my face yeah Um, and also kind of the I think one of the things as someone who just turned 30 um, I had many people (laughs) Uh saying like you're going to turn 30 you need to you should have already been thinking about children and I think one of the things that science has afforded us is you don't have to be having children nope. by the time you turn 25 kind of thing anymore. Um, nope. So seeing a woman who was in her forties saying like, Oh yeah, I'm expecting my first child. I was yeah. like, hell yeah. Because you're going to be very tired once that tiny human arrives, but at least you're going to yeah. say, look at all of this life experience that I got to have that I didn't have yeah. to curb a bit because I had, another human that I have was responsible for. Like now I feel yeah. ready. Now I feel like I have achieved the things that I wanted to achieve. And maybe right. that's also another commentary on motherhood as well of like, if we're pushing women to have children as young as humanly possible, yeah, why aren't we not expecting them to be resentful and have an existential crisis like every five minutes because they never got to wear what their humanness was like or make mistakes. Like, that's 20 some year old woman going around cheating on her partner would be one thing, but because she has kids, that's selfish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh spoiler to anyone out there going through potentially any of those type of thoughts. Um, there's never a good time. Spoiler alert. No. There's never a good, you're never ready. Uh, it's never a good time. And you're cause your life will always keep moving. People will still want things for me. So it never changes. Just try to do your best. Live one day at a time and uh, forget other people's opinions. You know, just do what yeah. you want to do. And again, honestly, she, uh, Lita in here kind of 
emboldens that spirit, but like on a like kind of a shitty level in a, in a way. Like it depends on uh, your your thoughts on how she did things, or, or you know, a lot of people. I read so many criticisms where they were like, "Well, you know, she volunteered to have these children. It's not like she put up a fight." But there is something about like not thinking like thinking you're ready for something and then being like oh no i'm not cut out for this this sucks um and and but also being in her situation where like it didn't seem like the husband was around a lot at all and so if you're dropped out of an airplane to have one and then you have a two it's like having a heart attack Mm -hmm. so like there again one of these things where i'm like i don't I'm not going to champion anything she did, especially like some of the completely insane stuff she kind of does at times in this movie. But at the same time, I-, I can't be mad. It's like it's her life decisions. And I think the 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 better conversations that she has with somebody like Ed Harris, where he's like, well, I taught my kids how to swim, so I'm yeah. a dad. And it's like, cool. I, I left my kids, you know, for a time and I still did way more parenting than you, but I'm the jerk and somehow you get to still have, you know, a relationship with your children. One of the things that they don't mention from the book to the movie, which I guess they don't really need to is that this vacation happens right after her two children moved to Canada to be closer to the father. Mm -hmm. And, And so you don't really need that, but you also kind of, cause you could see it on her face and everything that she does. So like that, just that heartbreak of like, she knowingly did something that, you know, she's not proud of, but she also needed it to survive mentally. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's kind of that interesting conversation, but like, man, is there such a double standard in this movie all over the place? And I think a lot of those conversations where it's a little more hitting onto the themes, I think that's the real good stuff in this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, again, I'm going to just complain about, please give me a 90-minute movie. I need those. But, no arguments here. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think when the focus was on the themes because it also didn't have to you didn't have to sit there and listen to them talk I think that some of the most powerful stuff was just almost like the as I particularly enjoyed all of the Jesse Buckley stuff because I just think that she's the one of the most underappreciated uh actresses these days but um 100% I mean just watching her I think some of my favorite scenes were like her just watching her children going like she likes them, but she also, it it does not want to be anywhere near them. And she didn't say much. She just like peeled an orange and then watched them just going like, yeah, I'm out. Peace. Like (laughs) I just, and I, I just think that that stuff was really powerful. And when it was really honed in on the, struggle and the double standard that's when it was kind of firing on all cylinders i agree and and there's a lot of people who are kind of also not going to enjoy a more ambivalent ending to you know where it's just kind of not really clear whether you know 
some people even say, and I guess the book is this way too, where it's kind of open-ended whether she is altogether there at the end, whether it's actually real what's happening. Mm-hmm. Some of these things, there's a lot of extra conversations that the author will not cop to one bit. They leave it, you know, kind of open-ended for a reason. Um, and I guess I don't think it really matters one way or another. Um, but it is interesting to kind of just have one more thing to kind of play to people to to have to really sift through a hard movie like this and that's why come at me tell me i'm completely wrong tell me this movie was insufferable tell me this uh this character was insufferable that they could you couldn't get through it okay i said the same thing about power of the dog i'm like i like it but i understand if someone went like jesus move the movie along i don't like these people what am i hanging on to because i'd be like okay but then a lot of people would be like yeah, but if you hang on, you really follow the thread of this story and you really go through it, like, you'll truly enjoy it. But, you know, I can't, you know, it's interesting that Netflix has somehow carved out a niche as being, like, helping save independent cinema yeah, uh, throughout and world cinema, too, uh, on top of it. And yet, that's not their core audience, especially here in the States at all. Um, but, like, they're just slowly trying to help, you know, Move, move the culture forward and, and, and appeal to all levels uh, of cinema to, to go through. Um, so I definitely appreciate that. Uh, one other thing before we uh, take a quick break and then we'll get to like some Oscar-y stuff at the end. Um, I also enjoyed the music in this. There was a theme, and I don't know if you caught it or felt it the same way. There's a theme that they use multiple times, especially like kind of bookended uh, in the film. Mm-hmm. Did you think that sounded like Alicia Keys' Fallen? I mean, I... It was the same notes. It was weird. It was like an orchestral version of Alicia Keys. It, I mean, it kind of had a little bit of that feel, but I think one of the things that it did was it just kind of like, it was both mm, melodic and melancholy at the same yes. time. Yeah. And I think that if you have a theme that you can then kind of run with throughout a, a score... Yeah. Um, that is not Eyes Wide Shut, by the way. Do not ever play <laughs> that score for me ever again. Um, sure. But if you can set that up and then have that kind of run in and out every so often, right. um, I think that that sometimes also helps when you have tonal and pacing issues in a film. And right. the score is also just really good. So go listen to it. Sure. Um, folks listening at home. Yeah. When you're done listening to this, go listen to the score and then let us know. Please, it's the beauty of Spotify. And yes. while you're there, give me a five star review. Thank you very much. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I I actually was very entranced by it. I, I enjoyed it, but I did also kind of go, "Is this Alicia Keys falling?" Like it does. It hits certain notes where it's got like a mix between like that and an old Bill Withers song, or like it's got this very interesting '70s vibe to it. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, to hear uh, before we take the break, I know this is in your top thirty, yes. but I was surprised at where it was considering the grade I think you gave it on Letterbox. So let the people throw it out there. What did you give the grade for Letterbox, and where did this land as far as your favorites of the year? Let me pull up my list, but I will tell you I gave it four stars, and really that fourth star was solely for Jesse Buckley's performance because I just think that. It, I'm, we knew that Olivia Coleman was 
gonna be amazing because when isn't she um and i agree uh, i see that a lot by the way and obviously it's starting to come around where the slow jesse buckley train um it for this movie anyway is starting to come forward yes but yeah so it was 29th and of my top 30 i also watched a little over 130 movies last year so i feel like if you made it that high up that's good enough yeah Um, yeah for sure but I also, again, I just, if you can't, if you can't sometimes tailor what's needed in the film, again, I like a slow burn, but there were just, there were a few scenes that I honestly could have just done completely without because I already right. know who she is as a character. We don't need to do it again. If some of those things were more fine tuned, I think I would have been able to sit with it being a little bit higher. Right. But Yeah. Yeah, Morgan's just trying to tell you to watch The Novice instead. Be like out in an hour and 25 and just. Look, I mean, Passing was my number one film last year because that's like a tight 90. Everything's really great about it. It knows what it's trying to tell you. Right. And I think that Maggie Gyllenhaal knew what she was trying to tell with this. But I also think that sometimes when you're adapting something, you're trying to almost do like a service to the author and a service to the fans. Instead of like, you're not doing a replica of Nirvana's Nevermind, you're doing the acoustic version. So you can't have all of the things in there. Exactly. And from what I understand, there are some changes in here, but it's it's basically chalk. And I'm sure the way she was able to acquire it when you're a first time uh, director, I'm sure there's a lot of those things where you're going to kind of, you know, play it as safe as you can, maybe going into it the first time and then maybe once you get a little more experience and a little more uh chutzpah in the room like to be like yo this is my vision and and this is where we're going to go with it maybe uh that changes over time um i'm in the same camp i'm i'm basically a four out of five with this as well um this just kind of floated more to the top i guess of of what i watch because i find um this year there's a lot of four out of fives, but there just really is so, so few like four and a halves. I don't even think I've given a five this year. Like it's one of those years where I'm just like, I don't have a home run hitter, but like, you know, I just have a lot of like, it's a solid year. Yeah. And maybe we talk about this more after the break when we get into the oscar stuff, but I also just have found that everyone's top 10, everyone's top whatever yeah. I find almost few similarities from one to the next. Like Very everything is all over the place where, you know, like several years ago, it is like everyone's putting the favorite as their number one. Everyone's putting, you know, either you have Moonlight or you have La La Land as your top. And like right. there was n- no diversity in it. And like now I'm seeing people with like the most random thing in their top 10. And it's like, yeah. I didn't even know that that movie existed. Great. Thank <laughs> yep. you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we'll maybe talk off air because my number one is probably not anyone else's number one. So that type of stuff happens and it's not a Marvel movie or anything either. So, you know, yeah. Trying this year. I watched a whole lot of stuff and I'm very excited. Uh, when we come back from break, we'll talk a little bit more about this movie and its Oscar hopes as it already is in the award season conversation. We'll be right back. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. 
Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together, we host the Pint O' Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is a Available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. All right, we're back. We're going to do a little awards talk uh, for this one as well, because like we kind of set up top, you know, there's a lot of things that this film has already either won or has been nominated for. Uh, you know, had a great night at the Gotham's. It was one of those nights where. You know, unfortunately for Morgan, and we talked about this on the passing episode, it was like one of those two movies has to emerge from the Gothams. And this movie was that one because uh, they were both up for five Gotham Awards apiece. And a lot of times they were kind of competing. And The Lost Daughter won four of their five and passing got shut out, if I'm not mistaken. So, um because I think even Ruth Nega didn't win for no, the I... Gothams anyway. So, but, uh, you know, like I said, two Golden Globe nominations, Best Director and Best Actress, uh, The Independent Spirits, you know, for Feature, Director, Screenplay, and for Best Supporting Actress for Buckley, and two Critics' Choice Award nominations, one for Coleman and one for Best Adapted Screenplay. And that's kind of what I'm seeing. You can kind of sense the pattern here that, if we're going to go into Oscar Sunday, it seems like their best two chances are with Olivia Coleman. Some people think she's going to win uh, for this. There are a lot of that chatter because, of course, because she's Olivia Coleman and she likes to kind of swoop in and, and steal something from presumptive favorites all the time. Um, and then the uh, conversation of whether it'll be in the adapted screenplay five uh, Gold Derby, I believe, right now has it at number two, right behind Power of the Dog, another Netflix film that we've mentioned today. Um, so where do you see this maybe leaning for them when the dust settles at the end of all the Oscar hoopla and at the end of award season? Well, I think one of the a good telltale sign is going to be where like the DGA, the WGA and SAG start to tell us what they're thinking, sure. um, because that's going to be strong idea of where everyone's going to be by Oscar night. Um, I also feel like this film is probably going to get a little bit more love too at BAFTA because mm. um, you have Olivia Coleman who has been nominated many times uh, at BAFTA, both in film and television. You have Jesse right. Buckley who kind of out of nowhere was nominated for Wild Rose, which I think was maybe one of her only nominations that entire award season for that film. I love that movie, by the way. It's it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And again, BAFTA was like the only one to be like, yep, we like that. So I think that with those two as kind of like whom they're pushing 
in contention in front of the camera. Um, I think that that might then also give Maggie Gyllenhaal a little bit of a push, definitely an adapted. But I could also see because she is getting, she's been getting so much of a push um, since Venice in the directing category that if she has any type of luck either at critics or um, I think she's nominated, is she nominated at um, Independent Spirit Awards? That's I think just for a directed screenplay. No, directing. They also have it for a director there after she uh, she won uh, for breakthrough director in, at the Gotham's. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there could be a push for her to kind of be because, uh, I mean, last year we saw the Oscars do something that they don't normally do, which is nominate more than one woman at the same time in oh, the directing yeah. category. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and we kind of saw both a uh, quiet veteran with Chloe Zhao, but then we also mm. kind of saw newcomer, first-time director uh, Emerald Fennell getting nominated as well. True. So I think that there's kind of a, at least people are starting to notice female directors. And I just think that because of what her film is about and kind of the makeup of her film, it's going to be a lot more accessible for Academy voters to think, yeah, I should look at Maggie Gyllenhaal's film versus Rebecca Hall, who, because I think that uh, Jane Campion is just kind of on her own level because she has literally just been doing this longer than any, you know, either two women have had a career. Um, So Jane's just doing her own thing. So I think, again, we kind of saw the Gotham play out where it is, who's Netflix going to get behind. And when The Lost Daughter kind of came out on top, I think that there, whether or not she gets it, but I think that there there is going to be a push for her in the directing category. Um, yeah, yeah, Netflix. I know they're this huge entity and and has a ton of resources, but my God, how much they have to split their time this year is incredible. Um, you know, and it, it's a good thing to have, of course, but like at the same time, when people are having a conversation around Power of the Dog, don't look up. Tick, tick, boom, being kind of like potentially their big three. And then, oh, by the way, The Lost Daughter is probably more <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. acknowledged, at least at this point, in terms of wins and, and nominations than a lot of some of those other films uh, to where it's like, why would this one not be that, uh, you know, outside of like the big names of like Adam McKay and Lin-Manuel Miranda or things like that, where it's like, OK, we get it. Um yeah, director's going to be hard this year. Like, there's just so many just, like, incredibly established people that weren't there in 2020. Like, the the fact that you're probably looking at Denis Villeneuve, PTA, like, these stalwarts that, like, have just been around uh, that, you know, are, are putting their hats in the ring and winning a bunch of awards, too. I, I don't know. If if she gets in for director, she's probably close, uh, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I just got I don't know if a movie like this goes through. But I I can see being pleasantly surprised based on kind of what she kind of fits the Emerald Fennell thing, right? Like yeah. an actress stepping up, doing the the um, the first time director thing. Uh, a person with a clear vision of what they wanted to do with their film. And also the the Academy's kind of getting more female and more um 
international as time mm-hmm. progresses. So if you're seeing, you know, the love at the BAFTAs translate like it did in the last uh, couple of years and then into Oscar's success, maybe you do get uh, a later push for something like that. That would be interesting to see. But yeah, I definitely think it falls. I could see adapted screenplay happening. Mm-hmm kind of looking to see what it would compete against. Because even some of the ones that adapted screenplay that are up, like Dune or West Side Story, it's like, okay, we've done this a little bit to death. Like, are we going to keep going down this? But if those are their more intense competition outside of Power of the Dog, I could see it hanging around longer to to at least get the adap- uh, the, the nomination uh, versus... You know, whether they, they win ultimately at the end of the day is, of course, um, you know, a whole different conversation. Coleman, I think, has a genuine chance at winning. The one thing that I would say about this, and I saw it on Twitter, her the percentage of how much she's in this movie for a lead actress is much smaller than some other versions of this that she's going to have to go up against. And also, I kind of find it... Uh, interesting as far as like the Jesse Buckley conversation mm-hmm. that her biggest competition are actually like good moms and it's yeah. going to be like good moms versus bad moms yeah, like basically. in that competition outside of maybe like whatever you think of Kirsten Dunn's character and power of the dog I guess but like going against Anjanou Ellis and and you know uh, uh, Balfi for for Belfast and and some of these ones where like literally like you know standing in front of the danger their children possess like that's something that more people could probably wrap their arms around than maybe a character like what's in the Lost Daughter so I wonder if that's gonna uh, play into it at all but I just love how big a swing this movie is and yeah. I think I appreciate it for that and I don't know if that carries into award season or whether we're just gonna you know keep on laying it on with the crowd pleasers, as it were. Yeah, I think this year is really interesting because we still kind of have some residual of like, we actually appreciate art versus flashy wannabe Michael Bay uh, bullshit. Um, (laughs) Because- How dare you? (laughs) We kind of got spoiled in 2020 because all of the big names wanted to hold their movies so that people saw it in a movie theater. And we got to see- quiet films with complicated women who did really not so great things all of the time. Um, You know, I mean, literally, I think we had films like Promising Young Woman nominated. We had, what was her name? Andrew Day in uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday. I mean, Billie Mm -hmm. Holiday was unfortunately a victim of uh, substance abuse and poverty and all of that stuff. And then actually got money and, didn't actually escape any of the other things that uh, she had in her life. So that's really complicated and messy. And um, yeah, this year we're starting to just kind of be bombarded with very pretty looking films that I uh, still don't understand what the point of them ever being made was Um, (laughs) Uh mixed with quieter films or just more nuanced films that have really great performances that are kind of being overshadowed by just people being loud. Um, So, you know, it's kind of that weird tug of war um, going back to the status quo where, you know, 
again, we just want guys to dudes to be loud and award them for that. Or, (laughs) you know, um, and then I'll also say like female categories are historically just the most contentious because the standard for women is always much like in the lost daughter, the expectations are exponentially higher than it are yeah. than it is for the men. Um, yeah. I mean, I think last year might have been the first time where I liked a majority of the performances in both best actor and best supporting actor yeah. in my entire life. And I've been watching the Oscars religiously since I was like 13 or something. And it was the right. first time where I was like, wow, if Four out of five of these men win tonight. I will be very happy because these were actually really good performances where normally yeah. it's like, maybe one of you, I will be okay with the other yeah. ones. You bought your way, you know, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Going up there <laughs> um, yeah. where women, it is the expectation for them to perform and be small and great and, quiet and loud all at the same time that's that's just like basic level of what acting is and so when those performances then get nominated you know that there's just some really extraordinary work going on so it's you know it's just as another year where it's like I could probably give you know nominate just two dudes in their each of those categories and then just give the rest of the slots to the women because there's just too many to choose from yeah, and I would argue that Coleman's character is not that far of a cry from McDormand in Nomadland from last year. She's not a very likable character, you know, and her story is compelling enough, and she's got a lot of flawed relationships that's kind of, you know, checked out on life a little bit. There's a lot to kind of, you know, run parallel with, so it's kind of interesting to see where that goes, especially knowing how much everyone loves Olivia Coleman and it's very everyone obvious. Everyone loves Olivia Coleman. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're a major her... Fleabag fan like I am too. So where it's like, you know, she just gets to add the TV side people and uh, obviously the, the film side and has been awarded left and right. So, you know, the crown Fleabag, uh, you know, God, uh, you know, and everything she's done on film, the favorite, the father, you know, anything with that. And, and this to me just adds one more feather in her cap, and I would not be shocked if she won over, say, someone like Kristen Stewart. Um, you know, where I gotta say, I I I know this is a Netflix podcast, and I'm straying from the uh, from the flock a little, but I watched Spencer over my uh, quarantining. I don't care for that movie at all, and I don't love her performance. It's usually like, even if you don't love the film, you're usually like into her. She was fine. She she grit her teeth a lot. Good for her. Um, like I just didn't fully love that performance. So if she's the big alpha in the room that's in the way of Olivia Coleman, I, I don't I don't care at all. Yeah. Like just let her get steamrolled. I might again, I'm obviously an outlier. She's won a bunch of stuff or she's been nominated for a bunch of stuff. So you yeah. know. Well, I mean, and part of uh Kristen Stewart's issue just to talk Oscars, I guess, because sure, obviously sure. I'm why not. Uh, it's the new year, I guess I'll uh, talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, she is sandwiched in between uh, Emma Corrin, who gave a really great performance, and they were nominated a whole bunch and right. won some awards as Princess Diana. Yeah. And as 
Spencer came out and we see Chris and Stewart. We are also getting images of Elizabeth Debicki and like the infamous revenge dress. So it's like, it is both a, it helps kind of prop her up in a way of like, look, we have all of these people having this conversation about Diana that we haven't really had in excess in a while. Right. But that also then is a hindrance because it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Kristen Stewart looked good because of this wig and stuff, but look at, Elizabeth Debicki over here in right. this almost identical, you know, recreation of this iconic moment. Sure. Um, or, you know, when Emma Corrin was on screen, she did this. And I liked the way that they did, um, you know, the accent, like she had a really good Diana voice. Um, right. So, yeah, it's kind of like, once again, an oversaturation. Right. Um but I also think like they've been left out of the conversation a lot outside of Ruth Nega, but Tessa Thompson, she also uh, should probably have gotten a push from Netflix that they just kind of were like, well, you got nominated for a Gotham, whatever, bye. Right. And that's all she's gotten, which is not cool. Uh, yeah, she's gotten a few critic circle stuff where I've seen her name more recently, but yeah, definitely not in any kind of like overwhelming way where they had to like, sit up and take notice for sure yeah and then i guess the other thing too then is you know we saw that netflix is really bad about they are a huge conglomerate that has money and you can actually just put all of your horses in the race and then let other people decide for you then yeah who you then really focus on towards the end of the race sure versus like they pick and choose very randomly who they're going to get behind. And sometimes it works out and many times it doesn't because again, they have a whole bunch of films that have really beautiful nuanced stories. Right. And instead of pushing all of them, they're like, let's just randomly push this one. And then this person and this specific one. And um, I could also see Jesse Buckley losing out to, Kirsten Dunst in support uh, just due to her performance. And then you also have the fact that Kirsten Dunst just has a more established um, career than Jesse Buckley does. But then with The Lost Daughter, you then have the added push that Maggie Gyllenhaal is, has been nominated for an Oscar. So it's not like she doesn't know the Academy and they don't know her either. So it just, there are so many things here at, play and i'm going to be so tired by march (laughs) what is it 27th oh yeah yeah we got a long way to go we got a lot i mean it could be longer it could be april whatever the heck it was last year i know and the fact that they already pushed back the critics choice awards i was like oh no 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 no. let's please not do this again please for the love of god you just got people back in in theaters to an extent and you're just getting people back on the horse of film festivals and the traditional kind of rollout please for the love of god do not push this back i would i would lose my head i will gladly watch any kind of zoom meeting with famous people if it meant not having (laughs) to push back an award ceremony i know give me all the little boxes yeah they can't they can't mess this up again uh two years in a row um but yeah i i think it's it's coleman's their best shot buckley is interesting because 
outside of the fact that I did think it's funny that she's competing against good mothers. But like um, the top three in supporting actress seems to be like more locked in. But outside of that, like, eh, maybe like, especially that fifth spot is very up for grabs where it's probably, you know, Buckley, Ruth Nega, Rita Moreno, uh, a bunch of people who are just kind of like they've been talked about at times, but nobody's really like grabbed onto it. So I'm interested to see if that gets any more momentum, especially now that uh, she did get, uh, you know, a nomination in some of these award circles. But the problem is, I believe, yes, uh, that she was nominated at the Gotham's, which already happened, and she lost there. So the fact that, you know, she couldn't even win in the smaller ones is probably not the best thing going forward. She would have to win at Indie Spirits, but Indie Spirits is very close to the Oscar time, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. I don't think it's going to be the best timing as far as like voting is concerned. So that might not do a whole lot. We'll see if the guilds do anything like you were mentioning uh, to prop them up as this goes along. But yeah. It's going to be interesting, but I think those are the three things to really look at because it's not a big, you know, flashy visual effects film. It's not, you know, this deep, deep, deep uh, roster of uh, performances. I like Dakota Johnson in this. I like, you know, Ed Harris and, and some of these other people who are in it, but the percentage of what they're in, the type of big showy scenes, those don't really happen much outside of uh, the lead a character uh whether young or old so obviously we're seeing it kind of go on that way any other final uh remarks on this one before we wrap it all up yeah i guess again just watch for the guilds i would also be interested to see if they push it for best ensemble because you do kind of have that draw with ed harris dakota johnson in addition to these two kind of almost central performances of the same character, just right. different times, because I think that pushing for that could also help kind of then bolster the two, at least leading actresses in a sense into uh, Oscar season. So I would yeah. be interested to see if they make a move like that. You would think so, but my God of all years, this year is just the like ensemble drama year or oh, like yeah. even something like don't look up where everybody was like jesus christ how many stars do you need in one movie kind of a thing um that's where they think that one will shine and also power of the dog can make the same kind of mm -hmm. uh thought as as this film so and then they also got to yeah. compete with mass which i think if we're gonna talk ensembles is going to be pretty tough to yeah. beat yeah, of smaller films for sure. Um, and my God, yeah. So it, it's just a loaded year. And then the like Dune having this massive uh, all star cast too on a on an even larger scale. Do, I, don't get me started on Dune. I, I could be here all day. But I'm just saying, as far as like what's been successful mm -hmm. uh, thus far, West Side Story might have a, a chance too. And there's there's so many uh, that are just still hanging around Belfast, things like that too. So. We'll see. We'll see. If, if if we start to see the tide turn, you're probably right that it's going to be in the guilds because what's being presented thus far isn't really putting anyone in cement mm -mm. outside. I could definitely see Coleman being nominated. That's like yeah. done. That's an but easy. Like, that's yeah. an easy. Yes. I, adapted screenplay is very close to being a done deal, I think. But Buckley has a lot of work to do. 
And if there's going to be any other chatter for anything else, it really has to start sooner rather than later. But I appreciate you coming on, Morgan. That's a, a hell of a lot of info. You did a great job as always. And my voice uh, stuck it out, even though I'm on like day eight of feeling like trash from COVID. Thank you again, COVID, uh, for, for hanging around this far. Um, tell the people where they can listen to your podcast and where they can find your work. Yeah. So um, head over to at Cinema Gals on Twitter. Uh, that is where I primarily post chaotic memes. And uh, we're coming back with some mini-sodes uh, to kind of work us into award season. So then that way we don't uh, burn ourselves out like we basically did last year. Um, you can find us at the Untitled Cinema Gals Project uh, wherever you get podcasts. But um, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will eventually read all of those lovely reviews. So go over there. Excellent. That is great. Yeah, definitely go check out all Morgan's stuff. You're a delight as always. I appreciate you coming on. And God bless all the work you're going to do during uh, Oscar season and beyond. And we'll have to have you back on real soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. It was such a good time. 